So the word of the Lord from Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 6 through 12. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him, the Lord, no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. For the Lord has sworn by his right hand, by his mighty arm, Never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies. Never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have spoiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through. Pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. Remove the stones and raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. And they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought after. The city no longer deserted. This is the word of the Lord. <coughs> now it's not quite the Christmas story. Isaiah may seem a little odd for this morning. But we have been traveling with this old prophet through the past few weeks as we've journeyed with him through Advent. His voice and his visions, his prophecies, have broken week in and week out through our busyness. Broken through our shopping and our planning, broken through our baking and our partying, broken through our wrapping of presents and buying of presents. And Isaiah has done all of that through his visions, which offer a counterbalance to this time of year. Offers visions and prophecies that are comforting, yes, but also somewhat unsettling. Isaiah has given us, in the past few weeks, visions of war and peace, of destruction and salvation, of hope and of promise. He's given us visions of Swords beaten into shovels of nations laying down their arms and their weapons. He's given us visions of new growth coming out of old, dead tree stumps. He's given us visions of deserts becoming rainforests, of sheep and lambs and little babies playing in the midst of wolves and lions and snakes. He's given us visions of children born as signs of hope in the darkest of time. And through it all, Isaiah has shown us again and again visions of a God who will go to any length to keep his promises. And this morning, this bright Christmas morning, a morning of joy to the world and shepherds and angels and singing and 
choirs and joy. Isaiah has one last vision for us to sit with. One more promise to ponder. One more proclamation to hear. And in this final vision here for us in Isaiah 62, it, it centers on a city. It, it centers on the city of Jerusalem. The royal city of David's throne where the king sat. The place where God's presence was in his temple with his people. A city that was bustling and bright and safe and strong and full of life. A city. When Isaiah gave this vision, a city that lay in ruins. Because it had been razed to the ground by enemy armies. Destroying the city walls, driving the people out, sacking the temple and the holy things, pushing the people out and scattering them into foreign lands where they didn't belong, where they weren't at home, where people did not know their God. And it's into this reality, this reality of a city in ruins, of a people scattered, that Isaiah brings this vision of hope and promise. Look, Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. And they will not be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give the Lord no rest until he establishes Jerusalem as he has promised. And makes her the praise of the earth. And as we read in chapter 20, or 62, Isaiah continues to paint this picture of a city strong and safe, when in reality the city lies in ruins. He continues to paint a picture of a city overflowing with food and wine and life, when the city that he saw was empty and broken and quiet. He continues to paint a picture of a people who will know, be known as sought after, a city no longer deserted. When people would point at that city and say, desolate, deserted. A city where its inhabitants, as Isaiah calls to them, will at one moment, at a future time, be asked to clear away the rubble, clear away the ruins, across all the main roads that all the people coming to that city to live and belong and be can come. They wave the banner high in the sky, they throw open the gates and say, come into the city full of life, of light. But what Isaiah saw, and what the people he was preaching to saw wasn't that bright city. It was a city in ruins. Why in the world would Isaiah preach in a city of life? How can he be so certain that this will come about when everything points to the contrary? What makes this old prophet look at a city in ruins? a scattered people, and preach a word of hope and of promise. Right here in Isaiah 62. Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord has promised by his right hand, 
by his mighty arm. The Lord has made proclamation to the very ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, say to Jerusalem, say to my people, Behold, your Savior comes. Isaiah saw a different reality. Isaiah saw a different future. He looked at the way the world is, and he did not see the darkness and the ruin. He saw it. But he looked at it through the lens of the promises of God. Throughout this Advent season, we have learned and seen how Isaiah sees the world with double vision. His prophetic double vision. His ability to see the reality of the world as it is, but to see it through God's promises. And we have seen again and again, Sunday after Sunday, vision after vision, prophecy after prophecy, we have seen Isaiah's unwavering faith in a God who keeps his promises. Which is why Isaiah hinges it all on this message, this proclamation in Isaiah 62. All of his hope, all of his preaching hang on this one hope. Behold, your Savior comes. See? Your Savior comes. Isaiah. Even with his wild imagination, and we have seen how wild his imagination can get. Even with his incredible visions, with his powerful words, Isaiah could not fully grasp the way in which the Savior would come. Because while God's people did return to Jerusalem, they came back to rebuild walls and to bring life back to the city and to remove the stubble from the stubble, the rubble from the main roads. Maybe they also shaved. I don't know. <laughs> God's promise of hope and salvation was bigger than one city, and one time, and one place, and one people. The prophet who preached of Emmanuel, who prophesied the coming of a child who was born to us, a son given to us, the shoot from the stump of Jesse could not conceive of a baby in a manger, of a stable in Bethlehem. Isaiah held on to God's promises, but the reality of God's promises were bigger and deeper than he in his wildest imaginations could ever imagine. And Isaiah has a pretty big vision of who God is. We didn't touch on this this Advent season, but Isaiah was called into his office as a prophet, as a preacher, with a vision of God. It's in chapter 6, if you want to flip over, if your Bible is still open. Isaiah had a big vision of God. Because when he was called to be a prophet, he had a vision of God, the Lord Almighty, high and exalted, Seated on a throne that filled the temple. His robe filled the temple and there was smoke all around. And there were angels hovering over him, each with six wings. And, and two they used to fly, and two they used to 
cover their faces because they could not look on the glory of God. The angels could not look on this Lord Almighty. And Isaiah himself, when he has this vision of God, he falls flat onto the floor, face down, and says, I am ruined. Woe is me because I have looked on the king. I have looked on the Lord Almighty. And I am sinful and I cannot stand. Isaiah has a big vision of who God is. I wonder though, if Isaiah, who has seen God's majesty, his divinity, his holiness, his power, his strength, and this incredibly overwhelming vision of who God is, if he would have believed that when he penned Isaiah 62, this vision, this prophecy, if he would have believed that God would take the promise of a Savior coming as a child, as a son, quite so literally, could he believe or imagine from that vision of who God is that a Savior would come in diapers? That a Savior would come with vulnerability and need. That a Savior would come to shepherds and to new, exhausted parents, rather than to kings and to armies and nations. God's promised Savior did not come with fear and smoke and overwhelming glory. God's promised Savior came with joy and peace and hope in the tiny body of a child over whom the angels said, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Behold, your Savior has come. In his own Christmas sermon, Martin Luther wrote, he asked his people to look, look at that baby. Look upon the baby Jesus. Divinity may terrify us. Inexpressible majesty would crush us, just like that vision that Isaiah had of God, which is why Christ took on our humanity, our bodies, our flesh, that he should not terrify us, but rather with love and kindness should comfort and call. This Christmas morning, we know more than Isaiah did. Simply because we live and believe on this side of the star and the manger, of the cross and the tomb. This side of the incredible fulfillment of Isaiah's vision and hope for a Savior. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our God who took on our flesh, our Emmanuel, brought into this world by Mary in a tiny village on the outskirts of nowhere, marked by a single star in the sky, known only to a peasant couple and a few shepherds. In this moment, in that first Christmas, we see 
length that he will go to to keep his promises. We see the love of our promise-keeping God who will do whatever it takes to be God with us rather than God without us. And while we may know more than the old prophets, we stand with Isaiah in utter incomprehension, unable to grasp the immensity of that tiny body and that nature, the ruler of the stars and the heavens wrapped in swaddling clothes. And even less can we grasp the immensity of the love and the promises that took that same Savior, that same little Emmanuel, from the wood of the manger to the wood of the cross, from the swaddling clothes of his birth to the burial shroud of his death. Like Isaiah, we live and believe in an in-between time. A time between manger, cross, and tomb. And the time when Jesus says, I will come again and make everything new. And as we live in this in-between time that's already and not yet of our Savior having come and our Savior promising to come again, we can learn something from Isaiah. We can learn how to see the world and our lives with his double vision. We can learn how to see the world, look at, not ignore the ruins and the darkness, the scattered and the lost, but to know and to hope and to pray as we see through the lens of the promises of God. And Isaiah learned the lesson. He learned that his God is bigger than he could possibly imagine. That God's promises remain bigger than he could ever hope for, or looked for, or known. And we remember, like Isaiah, when our Savior comes again, the reality of God's promises will be bigger, will be deeper than we could ever have imagined on our own. Behold, your Savior comes. Then, and now, and at the end of all things, our God with us, never without us. Behold, your Savior comes to make us his holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, those who belong to him. Our Savior comes to rescue the world that he loves. Because he will do anything to be God with us rather than God without us. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into this world to condemn it, but to save it. For the Lord made proclamations to the very ends of the earth, 
Say to Zion, say to Jerusalem, say to my people, and say to the world I love, Behold, our Savior comes. Our Savior has come, and our Savior will come again. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? Savior, our Emmanuel, our light in the darkness. We thank you for being a promise keeping God. For being a Savior that comes with love. Bringer of peace. Because you choose to be a God with us rather than a God without us. We thank you for this gift, for this mercy. We are yours. May we live into this calling, into this life, and into your love. May we live as a Christmas people, saying to all who can hear, Behold, your Savior comes. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our God, that we pray. Amen.